right, let's open our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 and 2. Your word has free reign this morning, has free course. We just thank you, Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, that your word builds us up and gives us an inheritance. I declare this morning, James 1, 22, that we will be hearers of the word and we will do that word. We will not only hear your word, but we will do it. And I just ask you, Psalm 81, 10, as I open my mouth wide, you fill it with your words because we want to hear from you this morning. And Lord, I thank you, Colossians 4, 4, that I speak clearly, I speak with clarity this morning, that we understand what you're trying to say to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, our best friend, we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? amen. We are in a series, as Rick has already mentioned today, called On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. And we have began to walk through the entire Gospel of Mark. <coughs> we are now, excuse me, in chapter 10. And we started in January. We are praying that we will finish this maybe in this century. Can I have an amen? We're now in chapter 10. We're going verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. And this forces you to talk about the stuff that you would not normally talk about. I can guarantee you the, the topic of today's lesson would not be on my radar just to preach uh, just on any random Sunday morning. But this forces us to deal with passages that, that really maybe we don't focus on enough or, or maybe don't get enough attention. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 today. Let me invite you to turn over there and get ready. Let me show you the protocol of the kingdom of God. I believe we have this on the screen. This is what we've talked about for the last few weeks. We've talked about the kingdom of God. The main thing is the kingdom of God. Would you say that with me? Say the main thing is the kingdom of God. And it really is the main thing. It, Jesus' primary message, friends, was the kingdom of God. Yes, he taught on love. Yes, he taught on forgiveness. And yes, he taught on uh, generosity and all these things. But he, he tied all that through the lens of the kingdom of God. There is a present kingdom, but there is also a future coming kingdom. Yes, the kingdom of God is in the future. Yes, the kingdom of God, we will see Jesus coming back on a white horse and he will establish his earthly kingdom forever. And we'll have a new heaven and a new earth and there will be a legitimate ruling and reigning uh, among the people. But there is also a kingdom that is now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within your reach. It is within your grasp. It is within you. And so we must focus on the present reality of the kingdom while we're looking ahead to the hope of the future kingdom. So this is the protocol of the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 10, uh, look at the next screen, Jared. We've been talking to you about receiving the kingdom of God. We've been talking to you about sacrificing in the kingdom of God. And then this morning, we're going to talk to you about suffering and serving in the kingdom of God. Now, I announced it three weeks ago that we're going to talk about suffering and sacrifice for the kingdom, and you still came to church. You're still glutton for punishment. So this morning, we're going to talk about suffering and serving in the kingdom of God. How many of you are so excited that you just can't stand yourself? I can see your enthusiasm this morning. We're going to talk about suffering and serving in the kingdom of God. And this is going to bless you, despite what you may think going into it. Mark 10, let's look at verse 32, and we're going to travel all the way down, I think, through verse 45. We're going to read a few passages, make some comments, and then we'll continue. <coughs> so they were, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. Somebody say amazed. amazed. 
for those who followed were fearful. And the reason they were amazed is because Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital at the time of, of the religious hub of society. And Jesus did not bode well with the religious leaders. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to uh, execute him and stop his ministry. Thank you very much. And so Jesus here is on his way to Jerusalem. And those that are following him are afraid. They're thinking, what is this crazy man doing? Does he not know in Jerusalem they want to kill him? And we are his followers, and that makes us fearful. So let's go on down. And, and it says, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Now, this is the fourth time that Jesus has told his disciples what's coming. He says, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to, the Son of Man will be betrayed. And, he, and it goes on, and he begins to give the most detailed account we have of what's about to happen to the Lord Jesus. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, but the disciples still did not get it. Look at your neighbor and go, duh, <laughs> duh. This is the fourth time, some of you enjoyed that a little too much. This is the fourth time that Jesus has declared to the disciples the future but they were not able to receive it. There was a block. They couldn't understand. And so look with me at verse 33. It says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. He's painting this picture of what's going to happen. They will mock him. Somebody say mock. They will spit on him. Somebody say spit. Look at your neighbor and let's just practice that today. Hallelujah. And I'm just teasing. Don't really. You notice nobody is spit, sitting on the front row because everybody is, is safe right here from my, from my projectiles that may come out while I'm preaching. And so notice this here. They spit on him. They mocked him. And they would scourge him. Somebody say scourge. Now, I don't want to be too graphic here, but Jesus is outlining a picture for them. They knew exactly what scourgings were. And you've seen the whipping post and you've heard about it. And you've seen the movie of the Passion of the Christ. But there would be a small stake hammered in the ground and, and they would typically put the, the criminal is what they would do. And they would put them on the scourging post and they would take a whip made out of bones and made out of other rock and fragment. And as they would take that, they would rip it across the back of the criminal. And as they would pull that, flesh would come off. And, and I don't mean to be too graphic here, but it would knock out teeth. It would sometimes pull out eyes. Eyes would be taken out. Many people died at the whipping post. Many people died uh, at the scourging. And let me just say this. Let me just travel down this road for just a second because I just sensed this as I was talking. Everything in the gospel has a purpose. Everything Jesus went through had a purpose. Say this with me. Say, everything Jesus went through had a purpose. So how many of you know the crucifixion is when Jesus died? And how many know Jesus died so he could rise again so we could have life? We know the cross was projected. The cross was prophesied that Jesus would be crucified. He would hang on a cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So why would Jesus go through the whipping post, the scourging, if all he had to do was die on the cross? If the whipping post had no purpose, then our God is just a massacre. Our God is just watching someone be brutally beat who had never committed sin. You understand Jesus had done no sin. So if the whipping post did not have a purpose in the redemptive plan of God, then our God is honestly uh, unfair and unjust. It had to have a purpose. 
That's why the Bible says it was prophesied in Isaiah 53 that by the very stripes on his back, we are healed. And so the stripes that were placed on the back of Jesus, that is what paid for our healing. That is why I can receive physical healing from the Lord. I can receive mental healing from the Lord. And I can now receive spiritual healing from the Lord because of the whipping post. Aren't you thankful that Jesus went through that for us? By his stripes, you will be healed. And then Peter confirmed it. Peter said, by his stripes you were healed, meaning it was already done. It's already been paid for. Now we just have to receive God's goodness and and healing. So Jesus said, I'm going to be scourged and spit on. But three days later, the Son of Man will rise again. And so he began to just outline what's going to happen to him. And thank God for the three days. Thank God for the resurrection. Can I have an amen? I love the cross. Not against the cross. Paul talks about the preaching of the cross is even foolishness. But the power for our salvation is not in the cross, is not in crucifixion. How many know hundreds and thousands of people were crucified, but not one of them saved me. There were two thieves crucified the same day Jesus was crucified. So what brings us to salvation? It's the resurrection. It's the fact that, yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was killed, but God raised him from the dead on the third day. That's what separates our God and our Savior from every other false God. It's because he's alive. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. Can I have an amen? That's a place to clap. Gail's the only one who believes it. Jesus is alive. And apparently the rest of you are not. (laughs) But Jesus is alive. That's the power of the resurrection. So now Jesus is in the middle of sharing this. I love the disciples. Man, I just... What a bunch. There's hope for me, and there's hope for you. Jesus is in the middle of saying, I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be scourged. He's casting this vision, but yet I'm going to be raised from the dead on the third day. And look at this. This, this, is, this is just amazing to me. Look at verse 35. He's right in the middle of sharing this. In Mark chapter 10, 35 says this. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. How many of you, he's right in the middle of sharing the crucifixion. He's right in the middle of saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be handed over to the high priest. And they say, Jesus, we got a favor to ask of you. (laughs) We'd actually like something of you. We want you to do whatever we ask. How prideful and arrogant they were to to bring this at this time. Look at your neighbor and say, timing really is everything. Timing really is everything. Listen to this. Let me help you with this. You can do the right thing at the wrong time, and it becomes the wrong thing. I tell that to our students a lot when we have students wanting to date or someone's wanting to get married or it may just not be the right time. I'm not telling you maybe it's not the right thing. It might be the right thing for you to go and be a missionary and so forth and so on, but if it's not the right time, if you do the right thing in the wrong time, it becomes the wrong thing. Say it again. Say, timing is important. So look at verse 35 here. The two sons of Zebedee, really it was their mother. Actually, another translation tells us, another account, I think it's Matthew, says they sent mama. means they weren't even man enough to ask. They had to send mama over there to do that. I mean, these must have been mama's boys. Can I have an amen? So the mother of James and John go over and say, we we want you to do whatever we, we ask of you. And look at Jesus. Look what he said. Man, if I was Jesus, I'd have just... Punched him right in the head right then. Jesus was a little more gracious. Look what he said. What do you want me to do? He said, okay, I'll play your silly little game. 
I'll play your game. What would you like of me? What do you want me to do? And then notice this here in verse 37. They said, grant to us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. The next verse says that we want to sit on the left or we want to sit on the right in your kingdom. In your glory is what verse 37 says. And that was a place of authority. They're saying, Jesus, if you're going to go to Jerusalem and if you're going to be killed, then can I take your spot? <laughs> I want to be a leader in your kingdom. I want a place of influence. I want the most important. I want a reserved seat sign. I want a reserved parking space sign. Sounds like some church people, doesn't it? I want my name on a plaque. I want to be recognized and have prominence, and I want to be recognized and have authority in your kingdom. Now let's go to verse 38. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, you do not know what you are asking. Now let me just say this. We ask the Lord for a lot of things, and Jesus often, I believe, looks back up and says, you really don't know what you're asking. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer every prayer you pray? Can we be honest? I have prayed some prayers that would have taken me down a direction that would have not been the direction the Lord would have had me have, have traveled down. And so thank God he doesn't answer every prayer that we pray because we don't always know what we need to pray. We don't always have the vision and the direction for what we even need to ask. Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. You ask for authority. You ask for influence. You ask for leadership. But are you willing to pay the price? Look at your neighbor and say, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? Notice here, Jesus said in verse 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drank from? And this refers to destiny. In the Old Testament, when they would talk about the cup, it would be in a negative sense. This is his negative destiny. Are you able to drink the cup? Listen, boys, I just told you what's going to happen to me. Are you able to go through the same thing? And he's preparing them with a tenderness because he's taking them on a journey. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Look at verse 39. They said, we are able. And Jesus said, yes, indeed, the cup that I drink you shall drink. And you shall be baptized. You shall be totally immersed in persecution to the point of death. Every one of the disciples were killed for the cause of Christ. I believe that's right, but I, I don't think any of them died of natural causes. I, I need to go back and look at that, but it, it, at, at, least all, at least we'll say a majority of them, if not all. I need to clarify that, but I believe all of them were killed by becoming a martyr. So yes, they wanted authority. Yes, they wanted influence. They wanted to be effective in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you're going to suffer. Last week, to be effective in the kingdom of God, we had to sacrifice. It's just not getting any better, is it? Now this week, we have to suffer if we want to really fulfill and take part in the kingdom of God. And look what Jesus said in verse 40. But to sit on my right hand and my left, this is not mine to give. He's submitting to the Father here. He says, but it's for those whom it has been prepared. Frankly, just to be honest with you, from Scripture, I know what it takes to sit at the right hand or left hand of Jesus. And frankly, I don't know if I even want to raise my hand and volunteer for that, if we want to be honest. There's, those, there's a martyr's crown. 
that talks about, uh, Scripture talks about that, and we see Stephen uh, being a martyr. And I'm just telling I mean, I, I, am I willing to do that? I hope to God that I would be willing to do that. But I don't know that I want to raise my hand and be first in line for that, if we can just be honest. You get somebody walk in the door and say, I'm a prophet. I want to be a prophet. If you had any idea what the prophets went through in the Old Testament, you would not be volunteering to be a prophet. It's not a desired position. You think because you're walking the door and your name badge says prophet, you just get to tell everybody what to do. But that's not what it's about. Can I have an amen? Now, if you came in today and you're a self-proclaimed prophet, I don't mean to be offensive. But I'm just telling you, if we really understood the office and what the prophet went through and the weight that they carried, we would not be so eager to say, I want to be a prophet. Just throwing that out. That was free. That wasn't even in my notes. That was free. So in your kingdom... You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? So this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to talk about suffering for the kingdom of God. And I want to kind of change the way we think. Can we be mature this morning? If not, I think we have seats in kids' church. <laughs> if, if you don't. But can we be mature and look at scriptures and, and ask the Lord to help us walk through this? This, this was hard for me to prepare because... This is not something that, that, that probably is going to be good for church growth. Hey, come and talk about suffering and sacrifice for the kingdom. But it's for your benefit because there's a time coming when we may legitimately have to actually suffer for the Lord. Now, yesterday, Rick, Rick and I were at the Kaiapha event, and, and Rick was eating a burger that was a little bit well done because we had a little fire. And Rick said he was suffering for Jesus. And I said, Rick, you need to come to church in the morning because you're not suffering for Jesus. But Rick was obviously teasing. But we go on a mission trip. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Okay. How many of you would love to go on a mission trip? Yeah, amen. That's not a negative thing. You're like, no, no. It's a, that's a good thing. Can I have an amen? We think if we're in a hotel that doesn't have hot water, we are suffering for the Lord. Or is that just what I think? Is that me? Am I the only one? We think if we don't like the food or if it's hot or there are mosquitoes the size of your head, I have seen some large mosquitoes, ladies and gentlemen, then we are suffering for Jesus. This morning, I want to change what culture has told you about biblical affliction. Now, again, I'm not trying to talk you out of years of your theology. If this is your theology... And this makes you mad. Let this make you so mad that it drives you to the Word of God to begin to explore for yourself. If you are mad after this morning's session, I want to encourage you to let that channel that energy and go and get in the Bible and read this stuff and look for it for yourself because we're going to take a different approach to biblical suffering. We're going to take a different look at what the Bible calls affliction and trials and tribulations. And we like to blame anything that goes wrong in our life as affliction. Now, we're going to have trouble in life. We're going to have issues. Everything doesn't go the best it can go all the time. Tom and Tara were on the way to church this morning, and some goofy man drove over in their lane and knocked their mirror right off their car. How many of you know that's not good? But that is not biblical suffering. It, was it an inconvenience? Yes. Was it frustrating? Yes. Did it make them late for church? Yes. But I forgive them. Can I have an amen? They still were earlier than most of you. But that is not biblical suffering. And so let's take a look at what the Bible says about suffering. I'm going to give you st 10 stunning stats 
on suffering for the Savior. Can I have an amen for alliteration today? Ten stunning stats on suffering for the Savior. And I think we have five on one screen and five on the other. I wanted you to see them so you can write them down. It's going to get better, I promise. Here we go. Ready? Check it out. Let's look at number one, and then we're going to just look at some of these scriptures. Now, we're going to go through scriptures. Can we read the Bible in church? Is it okay to read the Bible? And can we actually look at some scriptures today and not be bored? I think we can. Number one, Jesus promised it. I'm going to go through these a little bit quick, but this will be up multiple times so you can write it down. Number one, Jesus promised it. Look at John 16, 33. John 16, 33 declares this. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. So I'm speaking this to you today about suffering for the kingdom of God so that you can have peace when the suffering comes because your sweet pastor warned you and gave you an advance warning of what is coming to, I believe, even our land. I've given you this so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? Now, you've got to go back and look at that word for tribulation. That word tribulation means persecution. It means an external force because of your stand for Christ. It's not because your van broke down. It's not because your dog ran away. I'm sympathetic that your dog ran away. It's not that you were getting up in the middle of the night and stumped your toe on your bed. That is not tribulation, ladies and gentlemen. Can I have an amen? I feel bad for your little toe. My pinky toe is still hurting from like six weeks ago. So I'm sympathetic to your little toe. But that is not biblical tribulation. You get in a, a scrimmage with your coworker at the office and you guys can't agree on something. You are not suffering biblical tribulation. You're just not getting along. You're being a jerk. Can I have an amen? Look out. Not you, the, the co-worker. Look at Matthew 10, verse 38. Jesus said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What does the cross represent? Suffering. Persecution. So Jesus promised we would have biblical suffering. We're going to define it in a minute. Number two, Paul experienced it. Paul experienced biblical suffering. Paul experienced biblical tribulation on a way that none of us ever have and hopefully never will. Look at Acts chapter 14. Look at this passage. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul. They stoned him, and what they would do is they would, they, would, they would oftentimes tie your hands and arms to some kind of a wall or some kind of object, and they would just take and throw stones at you until you weren't able to move anymore. And, and there's another way that sometimes they would actually lay someone down, and they would stack heavy stones on them until they just imploded. So notice this here. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him dead. I mean, that's a pretty bad stoning. Some of you have been stoned like that and people thought you were dead. Different kind of stoning. Can I have an amen? They drug Paul out and they said, that was good. Come on, that was funny. That yeah, took a second. Okay, I'm going to leave that there because there's so much going on in my head. Notice this here. They drug him out of the city supposing him to be dead. Now look at verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him... I love this. The Bible doesn't say this, so I can't tell you that this is what they did. But I can imagine, Susan, they were not just standing there. 
I can just sense in my heart they were praying over him, speaking life over him, commanding his body to live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I just can't imagine they were just standing there looking at Paul, bleeding and dead. I can imagine they were praying over him. Notice this here. They stood, stood around him and he got up. Somebody say, he got up. He was stoned and left for dead. And he arose and got up and the next day went with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, that's what happens in Kentucky every year. Hallelujah. And it says they preached the gospel there in verse 21. And, and he made many disciples. Verse 22, strengthening them, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Hey, guys, I was stoned and left for dead, but I'm still preaching. I'm still going. So can you. I suffered tribulation for the Lord Jesus, but you can continue in your faith. You can keep going even though things are bad. And he says, through many tribulations. This is not just some negative circumstance. This is a tribulation, i.e. being stoned and left for dead. That word means external pressure to deny the faith because of your love for the Lord. Now look at number three. Peter experienced it. Peter expected it, excuse me. Jesus promised it. Paul experienced it. Peter, pull up the next slide here, the one here with all of our passages. Peter expected it. Peter told his church to expect persecution. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. How do you rejoice? Greatly. Not just a little rejoicing. We are to greatly rejoice in this fact here, that now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. But look at verse 7. This is so that the proof of your faith may be more precious than gold, and gold is perishable, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning if now your, your faith is going to go through pressure, go through trials for the cause of Christ. He's expecting this. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing is happening to you. Meaning, when tribulation comes, when persecution comes, when suffering for the Lord comes, we should not be surprised. We should expect it. But to the, to the degree, in verse 13, that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. When you share in the sufferings, the persecution of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice in exaltation. So Peter's saying, get ready, expect suffering for the Lord to come. James rejoiced during suffering. The next one tells us, the next one of our points here. James rejoiced. James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you're going through tests and trials. It starts out in verse 1. It says, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Why were they scattered? Because of persecution. James 1, 2, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. They're scattered abroad because they're being persecuted and driven out of their homes. And James says, you can rejoice. My brethren, choose joy. Count it all joy. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a choice to rejoice. Come on, tell them, say, it's a choice to rejoice. Even in the midst of suffering for the Lord, we can choose joy. Number six, 
Number five, whichever one we're on. I think it's number five. Suffering, i.e. persecution, is something we are not promised to be delivered from. We are promised that God will be with us in times of persecution, but God does not promise we will be delivered from persecution. Now, look at number, uh, you can write, let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. I've got several passages here, but I want you to, to see this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Is this, is this, is this okay? You guys still awake? Because I'm going somewhere with this. For momentary light affliction. Notice the wording here. Light affliction. It's really not what is happening to you. It's how you view what is happening to you. Paul and his companions were not going through anything that we would consider light. They were not, just, they were not being made fun of in the drive-thru because they had a bumper sticker for Jesus. Their co-worker wasn't complaining about them because they listened to Christian music on the podcast and they could hear it. Okay, these guys were not going through light affliction. But Paul had the attitude that this is just light. This is just common demand. You know, we love to use that verse, there's nothing that will come upon you, but, you know, that's not common demand, and God will not let you suffer anything that you can bear. And we use that anytime we go through a tragedy. Someone we love dies, and it hurts so bad, but we say God won't let us go through anything that we can't bear. And that's not at all what that scripture's talking about. That scripture's talking about God will not let you be persecuted to the point where you're not able to bear that burden. Now, again, I, I understand pain. I understand when we go through negative things, but we got to take the Bible for what it means in direct context. It's saying God will not let you be persecuted to the point that you can't stand it and can't handle it. He will step in and intervene. I'm just telling you, it's what the Bible means. It says, for this light affliction, it wasn't about the affliction. It's about how Paul viewed the affliction. It was his attitude and his mentality for the sufferings he was going through for the cause of Christ. Why were they light, ladies and gentlemen? Because there is an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison in relationship to the suffering that Paul went through for the Lord. He's saying that the reward that I'm going to receive in glory, you cannot even compare. Isn't that good news? Now let's look at verse 6. Number six, excuse me. Suffering is not simply sickness or simply personal tragedy. I'm so compassionate when we go through things. I've been through tragedies in my life. But I can't say I'm going through trials and tribulations when the word for trials and the word for affliction and the word for tribulation and the word for persecution is this. There's two words that are primarily used in the original language. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't claim to be. But you can look this up online just like I can. It's the Greek word thalipsis. Say that with me. Say thalipsis. It means affliction, trouble, and anguish, persecution, and burdened, being burdened because of your love for Christ. It doesn't mean that you're just sick in your body and therefore that is your affliction. We say, you know, I'm, I'm afflicted. The word in the original language, affliction, always means persecution. This is what the church faced. We face, we can't turn off Netflix. 
We face we can't behave on Facebook. We face we can't do our taxes right. We face these challenges. And when the early church talked about facing sin, they were talking about the sin of rejecting Jesus in the face of persecution. Pastor, why do you tell us this? It's all about perspective, ladies and gentlemen, about perspective. Now, if something happens, you, you can't get mad and quit the church over something goofy and silly because, hey, there are people in, in the Bible and people right now in other countries giving their life for Christ and we're mad about the air conditioning. We're mad about the carpet. So this gives you perspective. I'm not going to get offended and quit my faith. I'm not going to get offended by a brother or sister and walk away from God because there were brothers and sisters then and now that are fighting for their very life in this very moment, and therefore I can deal with my little problem. Can I have an amen? Please hear my heart. It's not, I don't mean, I'm not mad at anybody. I just want us to understand that, that this is a journey. This is a hard road. The next Greek word is pathma. P-A-T-H-A-M-A, Pasma. Again, I'm probably killing it. If you understand Greek, please forgive me. I'm not, I don't pretend to know much about it. But it means externally suffering for Christ, and it means the afflictions that Christians must undergo on behalf of Christ. Pathma, and then thalipsis. These are two words. It's a hardship or pain because of your following Christ. I want you to watch this short video. There was a World Summit recently, and a lot of leaders spoke there. And they dealt with world persecution. And so I want you to watch a short video and then we're going to come back and just clean up these last few ones. And then we're going to share some great things that God is doing in our church. But I just want to help us have a little perspective this morning about in the kingdom of God, we may, there may be a time, Tom, when we actually suffer persecution. Do you, do you understand that we live in a time of about 300 years and we live in a continent right now and in a time span of about 300 years that we are pretty much basically absent from the persecution the world has known for thousands of years. We are so blessed. We have been sheltered and protected. And we honestly, most of us have no concept of what I'm talking about today. But God help us if there should come a day when the American church actually suffers real legitimate persecution. And we're starting to see it. We're starting to actually see it. And it's happening through the courts. It's happening through the legal system. And what are we going to do? Where do we draw the line? What, how are we going to be able to stand even when things get tough and hard for the cause of Christ? Check out this video that will, I believe, encourage you to pray for those in this world who are suffering persecution. The persecution of one Christian affects us all. Throughout the world, no people of faith today face greater hostility or hatred than followers of Christ. What serious and devastating a problem in so many parts of the world. The World Summit in defense of uh, persecuted Christians is an opportunity to be reminded people are losing their lives, people are in prison, people are tortured because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our churches were attacked. All of them almost were destroyed. Many uh, had to flee their homes. It's hard to be a Christian in my country. Suffer itself is not killing us, but when we suffer alone, it's killing us. Let us never forget that we have a responsibility to speak out for our brothers and sisters in the faith. 
We can either sit back and say, well, we can do nothing about it, or we can get involved. The first thing that any Christian can do and must do is pray. For those who are dying and those who are being tortured and those who are in prison, they need to know that they're not alone. We really need to raise our voice for these people who can't say anything. We can be advocates for those who are suffering. I think this needs to be heard. It's a bigger story than what we think. I think with this summer, we are going to save people for the next generation. But my prayer is that God will give us each the courage and boldness and the oneness we need to stand together. I want to encourage the church to adopt the region of the world that they would just pray for every week for the churches in that area, whether it be the Middle East, whether it be Africa, whether it be Asia, or whether it be here in this country. I want people to be set free, and that can happen through prayer. So I want to encourage the church to pray. Amen. There's a lot going on in our world that we don't see. Meshach, one of our brothers from Malawi, Africa, was telling me a story about how their church bought land. And it was primarily a Muslim uh, community. And that the, the Islamic community would not even allow their church to get the needed permits and things. Of, to, and they ended up taking half of the land that their church bought because they didn't want a Christian church in the area. But we're hoping and praying next year, now they have the permits that they need and they're getting favor with the government and we're hoping next year as a church to even help them and invest and help that church there that he left. He was the pastor there. I don't know if you know that about Meshach. He was actually a pastor in Africa and they're believing God to actually build a building and build a better church because it's a witness, it's a testimony because Allah is not showing up in building churches. But when the God of the Christians shows up and builds a church with electricity and water and air conditioning... It will be a tremendous, tremendous testimony to the goodness of our God. So I want us to pray about that because we can help and we can invest. So what is suffering? Suffering is, go back, Jared, to number seven if you can. Suffering is not just sickness. Suffering for the Lord is not just personal tragedy. We understand we live in a cursed world. We live in a fallen world, but that is not biblical suffering and persecution. It is pressure and persecution. Just a scripture here, and we'll skip the others, but look at 2 Corinthians uh, 4.8. We are afflicted in every way. We are crushed and perplexed, but we're not despairing. It's, it's a light affliction. Even though Paul was in prison, prison wasn't in Paul. It was he had this marvelous attitude, even when he was going through suffering for the Lord. Notice in verse 9, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Can you have an amen there? We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Look at verse 10. We're always caring about in our bodies the dying of Jesus. Meaning everywhere we go, we're beat, we're stoned, we're imprisoned. But notice what he said in verse 10. But this is so the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. We're willing to die in our physical body so the very life of Jesus can be manifest in our body. 1 Peter 3 says, if we suffer for righteousness sake, we're blessed. Now look at number 8 as we close this up. Number 8 
Suffering has purpose in the kingdom. Every time you suffer persecution for the Lord, and it may come through that in our communities, ladies and gentlemen, it has purpose. 1 Peter 2.21 says, We've been called for a purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, He left an example to you to follow. When we suffer for the cause of Christ, it has purpose in our life. Number nine, suffering for the Lord comes in tandem with godly living. Meaning, if you're living godly, persecution comes with it. If we're not being persecuted on some level, how godly are we living? What kind of stand are we taking? Are we going against the grain? Are we going against society? Look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, indeed, all who desire. Somebody say all. Somebody say all means me. All who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Just like Jesus warned his disciples. So the closer we get to God, the more we're going to be persecuted. That's what that scripture tells me. The greater my desire to be godly in Christ Jesus, the more I'm going to draw outside pressure and persecution to quit and stop my faith. Let's read this one since we're here. Nobody's in a hurry, right? How many Oshonis will still be there when we're done? Look at Philippians 1.29. I couldn't stop it. Susan, as I was preparing this, I, I had to cut out scriptures. I had to make myself stop. I thought, well, they can't, they can't handle all this. They can't stand it. I've actually got four more pages of notes. But we won't cover them today. How many know there's always next week? Now, if we get a bunch of church people to come back next week to talk about suffering again, man, God is doing something there of it. <laughs> Look at Philippians 1.29. For to you, somebody say to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. That word suffer is one of those words I talked about that means external persecution, external pressure. Number 10. Last one. Bruce, would you come and help us? Number 10. Suffering now, temporarily, pays eternal rewards. 1 Peter 5, 10. You just want to play? Yeah. 1 Peter 5, 10. Didn't Bruce do a good job this morning? Come on, let's encourage Bruce. Man, he did so great. Love Bruce. Everybody go, Bruce. Or Brusky is how I affectionately refer to him, Love my Bruce. Suffering now pays eternal reward. 1 Peter 5.10. Check this out, Jared. I think it's on the screen. 1 Peter 5.10 says this. And all you suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you in his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice this. Even though you're suffering now for a little while, the God of all grace. Why do we need grace? To go through the suffering and the persecutions. That's why we need the grace on our life. To not deny the faith. What's the goal of persecution? To shut your mouth so you don't share your faith and to make you deny your faith and walk away. That's why we're persecuted. Brooke and Tyler, I'm not prophesying doom and gloom over you, but I just sense that this message will be a help to you because in the coming days and years and decades, they're, they're here for the long term. You may experience persecution on, on the campus in a way that you haven't seen because of your stand for Christ. May the God of grace 
establish you, perfect you, confirm and strengthen you. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Who wrote that? Paul, the same man that was drugged out of the city and left for dead. So this is just a momentarily light affliction. In view of all of the kingdom of God, in view of all that God is, this is nothing compared to the glory that God will produce in us. Amen? Amen. I want Rick to come and pray over us. I want him to pray over the persecuted Christians. And I want him to pray for you that we'll be able to stand in this time. And then we're going to share about our outreach coming up that we're believing God to make a huge difference. Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand with me?